we're going to be diving into a new series this morning. So we are starting to look at the book of, well, the, the letter. It's a letter. That's the that's the the, um, the genre of writing. It's a letter, and it's going to be Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Um, some of Paul's writing, so you can flick through. Um, if you get to Romans and then Corinthians, and do you know do you know how I remember? If you end up in like Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians. I'll tell you why my brain is processing that in a minute. If you land in one of those and you don't know which way to go, just remember Gentiles eat pork chops. That's what you need to remember. And you'll remember that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gentiles eat pork chops. So there you go. That's a little secret for, for those of you that are struggling to find Ephesians this morning. So we're going to read Ephesians, part of Ephesians 1. Um, but the reason we're looking at this is because I think Ephesians, certainly the first half of Ephesians, addresses, I think, uh, a theme that society is really grappling with. And uh, it's the theme of identity. And I think, um, I think society is desperate to know who it is, um, to know why they're here. And the issue we have is that um, if, if we're trying to find our identity and we're not home, we don't know where home is, we don't know who, and by that I mean the security of who we are, and, and why, why we're here and what we're here for, if we haven't got that as a basis, we will look absolutely everywhere for our identity. And so the invitation through Ephesians is that actually we're welcomed home and that our identity is found in Christ. And with that as the basis, we begin to look at how we get to live in response to that. So I wonder how you define yourself just while you're finding Ephesians. How would you define yourself? How do you identify yourself? Maybe you identify as a follower of Jesus this morning in the room. Maybe you don't. Maybe you would uh, identify yourself as uh, through your birth certificate where you were born and that gives you your identity, your marriage certificate or, or lack of, uh, your name, your income level, what you've got or what you haven't got. It's interesting, Nicole Kidman, uh, accomplished actress, um, she earns over $15 million per movie. Amazing, isn't it? $15 million per movie. And she is quoted as saying this, I don't know who I am or what I am or where I'm headed. She's got the world's eyes, the beauty. She's got the salary. She's got the profile. She's got everything that you think you would need in order to know who you are. Yet she openly says, I don't know who I am and I don't know where I'm heading. So we're going to take a journey through the book of Ephesians and we're going to explore our identity and who we are and how we get to live. So let me just read the first 13, 14 verses of Ephesians 1. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So we've got the introduction already. We know it's Paul that's writing this, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ 
as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who worked out everything in agreement with the purposes of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Amen in that full of, full of richness. And we're going to try and unpack some of it this morning. So if you're reading it going, okay, that was a lot of stuff going on there. In the Greek, that's actually one big long sentence. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the New Testament, but Paul just is so passionate. He's just writing and he writes it all. There's no full stops, no commas. And so we're going to try and unpack a little bit of what Paul is speaking into. So let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that as we gather here, we gather and we, we know that, that you are a God, you are a father who wants to be known. And the blessing we have of your word that reveals the reality of who you are and speaks into the reality of who we get to be. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, will you just come and speak through your word, speak into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, question. Have you ever upgraded something? Have you ever upgraded anything? Uh, like you've had an old model and you've decided I'm going to get the new model. So maybe it's a car and you've gone, I like this car, but I want to upgrade it. I want all the new features. I think probably the thing that most people would upgrade is a phone. So maybe you've had an iPhone. Other phones are available. Um, <laughs> but uh, iPhone, and maybe you've gone, uh, I'm going to get the new one, all the new features. And uh, that's what I want. Last year, early last year, I decided to upgrade my TV. So I had a TV, it was about 10 years old, it had been given to me by a relative, and it was a good TV, it was okay, it was, uh, I mean, you know, it rattled a bit when you turn the volume up too loud, but I just thought, you know what, I've been given some money, uh, it wasn't a new TV for me, but I found a good deal on one, so I drove down to London to this guy, picked up this TV, got it back in my house, and it was twice the size. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, that's perfect, the perfect TV for my lounge. And I turn it on, I'm like, whoa! And I thought the old TV had a good picture. And then I realized, no, this is a picture. This is what this is about. And then I turned the volume right up. I'm like, there's no shaking of the TV at all. It just sounds fantastic. And, and uh, we put the old TV in a spare bedroom. And I thought, you know what? If there's ever a kind of, you know, as the kids grow up, if there's a bit of a conflict about what we want to watch, then they can go and watch on the rubbish TV. And I'll have the new TV. And, and there won't be any arguments or anything like that. Um, the truth of the matter is, the old TV hasn't even been plugged into the spare bedroom. It's just sat there. Because we can't bring ourselves to go and watch something that's fuzzy and blurry. Now we've experienced, now we've encountered the upgrade. We don't want to go back and, and experience what used to be because now we've tasted and we've seen the best that we've got. I think Ephesians is going to speak into this a lot. This very idea. Paul, who wrote this letter, Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's writing this letter to non-Jewish believers that are living in a city called Ephesus around 30 years after the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So around AD 60. Ephesus, I think, is a lot like Stratford in many ways. Ephesus was full of culture. It had a strong economy. Uh, You know, on on the surface, it was quite a wealthy place. It had influence. It was known all around the world. In fact, the mile markers in Asia were all measured from the city of Ephesus. So that's the kind of influence that Ephesus had because it was known. And what we know is that Paul is writing to this church under house arrest in Rome. 
So there's some, some writings of Paul that are called the prison epistles. He's locked up in house, under house arrest and he's writing to the church because he knows that this is an influential place. He knows he needs to speak into this young church of young believers to shape who they are and how they're going to live. And what we now know actually is that this church in Ephesus started to shape evangelism across Asia. And it started to, to shift the spiritual atmosphere of that whole continent. How? I wonder if it started to grasp some of what Paul is speaking into. That when we know whose we are, when we know who we are, it shapes how we get to live. And actually that starts to change the atmosphere of the places and spaces we find ourselves. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. From verse 3 to verse 13... 10 verses, Paul will say the phrase in Christ or in him 10 times. That's not just repetition for repetition's sake. He's emphasizing something to these group of young believers. He's saying that this is the reality of who you are. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. You are a new person. Eugene Peterson says of the book of Ephesians, he says, the major theme of Ephesians is is to explore God's glory that gives the church its unique identity. See, it can be so tempting when we don't know who we are that we start to, to become like the world around us. But actually, Paul in Ephesians is saying, you've got a unique identity. And if you live into that, it will start to shape the atmosphere of the spaces and places around us. And Paul will focus in the first three chapters. So this this letter has six chapters. It's been broken down into six chapters. Three of those will look at who we are. The first three will look at who we are. He won't even speak into what it looks like to live for him until we get to chapter four. And the reality of that is because knowing our identity comes before walking in integrity. We have to know who we are before we start stepping into who God calls us to be. Later on in chapter four, we'll start to get into what it looks like to clean up our lives. Before, but before that, we need to know who we are. See, many of us, if we don't know who we are, even many in church, we see ourselves a little bit like this. Kind of mucky, kind of dirty. Do you know what? I'm trying my hardest, but God's probably pretty disappointed in me because I look at my life and it looks like that. And that's how we live. Matt, do you want to come up and be my waterman? Hopefully you'll get wet, not me. And so we live with this as our reality. We live this as our identity. But actually what Paul invites us that when we're in Jesus, we get to live a different reality. Do you want to squirt a little bit of water in? We might be here a while. But what happens is we start to live a different reality And actually, what happens is we start to speak some truth over us. The flow of this is a little bit slower than when I practiced at home. Do you want to turn it up a bit? Yeah. 
Matt's going to go and turn up the pressure a bit. Because what happens is we start to speak the truth of who we are. And to begin with, it feels like a bit of a trickle. Oh, there we go. But actually what happens is that's better. There we go. When we start to speak the reality of who we are, the fresh water gets put in. And as the fresh water gets put in, the dirty water starts to spill out and we start to change the reality of who we are. And so what we can start to say is we start to say, do you know what? I am blessed. That's the truth of who I am. I'm in Christ. And you start to see what starts to happen as we start to speak the reality of who we are. When we start to focus on the truth of who Christ is because of, because of who Christ is, who we get to be. And we say that we're, we're, we're blessed in the spiritual place with every spiritual blessing. I am a new creation. And we start to make some declarations over ourselves. And we realize that we're in Christ. And we realize that the reality of our life is defined by who Jesus is, not by who we are. And over time, do you notice what starts to happen? How we used to see ourselves starts to get shifted and changed. Because we've gone, do you know what? I'm going to declare the truth of who I am. Not what I see, but who God says I am, because I'm a child of God. I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the living God. And we let that wash over us. And it starts to clean us. And we start to live a different story. Because things start to shift and change. And we look and we go, well, there's still a bit of, still a bit of mess in there. Yeah, there is, because we're not fully there yet. But when he returns, we'll see him and we'll be like him because we will know him and we'll see him as he is. But actually, things have changed massively. And over time, we let the truth of who he is shape the reality of who we are. And we're changed. Thanks, guys. Didn't get any wet. Did anyone get wet? Well done. Well done. See, the more we allow the truth of who we are in Christ to wash over us, a change starts to come. You know, I lived for years uh, looking at my life going, oh, it's such a mess. God, you must just, you must just hate me. And the, the view I had of myself shaped the view I had of God. But actually, when we start to say, God, this is who you say I am, we allow that to start shaping the reality of who we are. And we let the truth of who God is shape the reality of who we are. And from that, we start to live differently because we start to realize that the upgrade actually is better than what we used to have. That actually this way of living and this way of being is far better than the dirt and the mess that we used to have and we used to struggle with. And it comes from allowing that to wash over us. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you might sit there and you go, okay, that's great, John, but how do I do that? Well, Paul is about to give us a stat load of blessings that we have that we're, now that we're in Christ. And they're all through this, verse, all through this chapter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to profile four of them. I'm just going to bring four to our attention. But I think you can probably read more as you read this passage and let the Spirit just speak to you. There'll be more blessings that just come out and you're like, wow, there's another one. Wow, there's another one. And it might be that each day we need to just go, do you know what, God? I'm going to speak this over the reality of who I am. Because Paul would say, for he chose us in him. That's the first blessing that Paul will, um, will reveal through this word. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Before we ever messed up, before sin uh, entered the picture, before the foundation of the world, he chose you. He chose you. When we let the reality of that 
wash over us. He chose you, not because he felt sorry for you. He chose you because he deeply loves you. And he chose you to be pure, holy, and blameless. Set apart to be different and to be blameless. I love that the scriptures speak into us being blameless. Christ was sinless. We're blameless. Which means we will get stuff wrong because we're not sinless. He was sinless. But the minute we rely on his sinlessness to shape who we are, we get to stand and say, you can't hold anything against me anymore. Because we just confess it and Jesus has dealt with it. So we get to live blameless. Do you know what the reality of living blameless feels like? The shame that gets lifted, the guilt that is gone. Because we are blameless. You are chosen in him to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. And then in verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to uh, the good pleasure of his will. It's another blessing. Not only has God chosen us to be made holy, but he now grants us the status of being his children. You're not his playthings. You're not his like his servants that just have to kind of cower under. See, the people that were coming into this new church in Ephesus, they were coming out of the, probably coming out of the worship of uh, a goddess called Diana. And each year they would have two massive festivals where they would declare that Diana was the, the Lord of all and the God of all creation. And yet the way they lived was if, you, if something bad happened to you, that was Diana punishing you because you weren't good enough. And so if you got sick, you're feeling a little bit rough like I, was, I am this morning, then that's, that's your fault. You've done something wrong. Diana's punishing you. And yet, yet Paul writes and he says, you've been adopted as children. You're children. You are deeply loved. And it means you get all the benefits. You have full access to the Father. You can call him Father because you're children. Verse six, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved. I love that. That's another blessing. His grace has been lavished upon us. That's such a, that word, it feels so over the top, doesn't it? Lavished. His grace isn't just enough to get you through your bad days. It's more than enough to get you through every day. You're accepted, you're chosen, you're a child. His love has been lavished on you in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. And so those of us that are in Christ, those of us that surrender to him, We've got grace lavished upon us. And it makes no sense because the reality of our life is a load of dirt. But how God sees us is with a pure, clean water because of Jesus. The fourth blessing it says, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So redemption speaks of, of buying back. It's like a legal term, purchasing someone's freedom. The price for our error, our wrong, the payment has been made and we don't deserve it, but still he paid it. The mess has been cleaned. We're in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are children, sons and daughters of the living God. Four blessings that come with the identity that we now have for those that are in Christ. That's the truth of who we are. And we need to let that wash over us. And as we go on in our journey, perhaps we need to let it know, uh, wash over us less because we start to live into the reality of that. Not always the case, but sometimes. For others, maybe we need to be coming back to these verses daily. And we need to say, do you know what? I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. And we need to declare it out over our life because all we see is the mess. 
When you say, no, do you know what? I have been adopted. I am a child. I don't feel like it today, but that's the truth of who I am because it's the reality of who God is. So we get to live into that. Verse eight, Paul will uh, turn things around a little bit and he'll say that God did these things with great wisdom and understanding. I think that's another blessing, actually, that actually it's not a mistake. He did it with full wisdom and full understanding. He chose you. Christ died for you. He's made a way for you. And it wasn't a mistake. I've done it with all full wisdom and understanding. He didn't slip in unnoticed. He knows us the best and loves us the most. And then in verse nine, he'll say that God did this all for a purpose. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth in him. Now, I think Paul in this moment, he's saying, okay, I'm shaping, I want you to know the reality of who you are. Now start to pay attention because the reality of who you are is for a purpose. And the purpose is bigger than ourselves. You get to live blessed. You get to live in the reality of that. But it's for something so much bigger. God's plan is bringing everything together under the lordship of Jesus. Because when everything is under the lordship of Jesus, that's when everything is made right. Because at the moment we live in a fragmented and a frustrated world where there's brokenness. But one day he will return and he'll make all things new. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and we'll live under the truth and the reality of who God is and we'll get to live that out fully. And he says, that's why you're blessed in order to start to live that out in the here and now. Because as we say so often in this church, that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It's now in that he said his kingdom has come and we get to live that as the church. We get to live in that. But we also look around and we say there's brokenness, there's sin, there's sickness. So it's now and not yet. We get to bring the not yet of the kingdom into the here and now of how we get to live. And that's God's plan, that everything will be brought back together into one glorious whole. In fact, the word for bringing everything back together is a a, a grammatical phrase that would be used at the end of a speech. And so it's almost like the conclusion. Now, don't get excited. I've used that word. I haven't finished. I'm not coming to my conclusion yet. But that's what it would be. At the end of your your speech, you would go into bringing everything together. All the points I've made will start to come into this one point in this moment. And that's what Paul is saying, that there will be a moment when every point, everything all comes together in one moment and it will be under Jesus and everything will be made right. And we get to live into that now. This is why we're blessed with every spiritual blessing to participate in the summing up of all things into the unity of Jesus to be part of bringing the not yet of God's full story into the right now of where we find ourselves in the spaces and places and people around us. This is why as a church, we're seeking to to, um, equip and release and mobilize uh, missional households. And we use that language deliberately around the region. We're not one central church looking to make it as big as we can in Stratford. We want to see every space and place in Stratford on Avon, the district of the 130,000 people 
have a way of encountering the kingdom of God as we step into the mission of God. And that's why we want to orientate it around mission. That's why we're encouraging uh, those, those missional households to get out and start praying over the spaces and places you find yourself, whether you've got a location in common or a people group, you're all a similar age, or you, 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 you're in the workplace and you've got that in common, not necessarily the same job, but that's where you find yourself in this stage of life. And we're praying over that. Or we've got some mission in order to reach the needs of the people around us. Or we're hosting our neighbours. Not because we're do-gooders. Although it's nice to do good, isn't it? But we're not just do-gooders. We're seeking to bring the wholeness of Jesus into the fractured places and people around us. Now, Ephesians 1 has sometimes been misused by people in order to disqualify the need for us to step out the need for us to, to seek to see God's kingdom come. Because some people will read Ephesians 1 and there's some, there's some tricky language in there where they'll say, okay, so uh, God has predestined us to be adopted as sons. And that language of sons, it, it might be jarring for some of you, I get that, but it's a legal thing. The son was the one who received the, the inheritance. So it's, a, it's, it's deliberate language, but we're sons and daughters. But some, of us, some people have used it to say, do you know what, if we're predestined, then what's the point? If God has already chosen some people, we don't really need to go out and do anything because those that, have cho- that he's chosen, they're the ones that will get in and the rest won't. And so they use it as an excuse to say, we don't really need to explore faith because those that will get faith will get it anyway. And we certainly don't need to go and do evangelism and share Jesus because, well, he'll reach them because he's already chosen them because he's predestined them. Verse 11, in him, we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. But what happens if the very way God has chosen to reach the people that he's chosen and to receive the inheritance he has for them is through us? Predestination is a mystery that God stands out of time. And I think that he sees the decisions way before we make them, you know, before the foundation of the world, he chose us. So he knew that we would exist before the world was even created. So so he kind of sees everything, but that doesn't remove free will. We still get a choice, but he ultimately knows and sees that because he's outside of time. So predestination is a mystery that God chose us before everything was created. But so often it's used to lead us to the conversation of who's in and who's out. They're chosen, they're not. Predestination is an encouragement. It's to say you've been chosen. You're not scraped in by the skin of your teeth. He holds you and he loves you and he chose you. You are not here by mistake. And it's an encouragement to seek to live out the new status of children and God in a way that invites those who will put their faith in Jesus to be united with him and to start to journey towards that new identity. That's the reality of predestination. John Stott says of predestination, and there's some big words in here, and if you want to talk about it afterwards, then uh, Ian is the man to go to. (laughs) He says, Let no one say, therefore, that the doctrine of election by the sovereign will and mercy of God, mysterious as it is, makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. The opposite is the case. It is only because of the gracious will, God's gracious will to save that evangelism has any hope of success and faith becomes possible. 
The preaching of the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which he delivers from blindness and bondage those whom he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world, sets them free to believe in Jesus, and so causes his will to be done. We'll send this stuff out so you can, if you want to, you can, uh, you can go a little bit deeper in, in, in reading these words and, and exploring this. But what we're going to do just for five minutes is I want you just to spin around and we're going to get into groups. So we do this on a Sunday morning. So some of you will not want to be part of that. And that's absolutely fine. There is never a pressure. You might just want to sit and listen to what some others are speaking into. But we're going to have three questions come up on the screen. You don't have to do all three. Okay. This is not like school where it's we don't go until you finish them all. You can choose in your group if there's one question that jumps out and you go, yeah, let's do that one. Uh, or you might just want to rattle through them quickly or you want to spend some time on That's fine. We've got five minutes. Just, just spin around to the people that are immediately around you. So what is special about the fact that God deliberately chose us? Second one, what difference does being chosen make to our daily lives? And then if you, if you want to go into it, what I'm about to speak on in a few minutes, read verse 13 and 14. In what way is the Holy Spirit's mark of ownership on us? Okay, so spin around. Uh, start to chat. There'll be some people that will naturally start to lead uh, your group. Um, I'm saying that in faith. Uh, so uh, yeah, dive in, answer some of those questions, see where you get to. Okay, guys, let's come back together then. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. So the reason we do this is that... Um, it's not just about coming and hearing one person speak from the front. We get to speak into each other's lives. And um, so I just wonder, has one person just got uh, an example of um, what's special about the fact that God deliberately chose us? Anyone got anything burning? Uh, just a few seconds just to share anything from your groups that you want to share. There's no pressure to share. I will move on with a nice little story if we've got anything we want to share. There's a lot of um, side poking going on over there. Do you want to share? Come on. Hi, I'm Emma, just to introduce myself. Um, so personally, I was sort of like bullied a lot at school. I was always overweight. I was terrible at sports and things like that. I was always left out. And I just said um, in our little group that, um, you know, I was last in the running race, that sort of thing. And I always felt like left out with friends and groups at school. But I know that God always chose me so it didn't matter what anyone else said how I was bullied and and approached I was content with myself and I know he chose me and I knew what I had to do Good stuff so what difference does being chosen make in our daily lives anyone want to share just similar to Emma there Any... yeah it, it's giving you confidence that that um whether it's good or bad that happens in your day if it's good, you, if it's going badly, you can go, Jesus, help me with this. And he does. And if it does go badly, you go, that's okay, because there's a, there's a reason for that and there is a plan. And I don't know what it is, but it'll work out okay. Um, the, actually, it wasn't me. It's a gentleman here in the grey T-shirt made a really good point that we all have gifts. And we're all the body of Christ. And... Uh, but we mustn't, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, yeah celebrate that. Thank you. Great. So that sounds like some good conversations. So I'm going to speak into these these final verses. Um, so if you had some great conversations, you can either ignore what I'm about to say and remember those good conversations around the Holy Spirit. Um, if if uh, if you want to listen to them, that's great. Um, because I think. Um, 
The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live the life that he calls us to live. And some of us don't realize the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we don't quite grasp. And I'm, I'm, I'm including myself in this. There's moments in my day where I forget that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. So there was a missionary called David Livingston. Some of you may have heard of him. He served in Africa from 1840 until his death in 1873. Livingston was eager to travel into uncharted lands of Central Africa to preach the gospel. On one occasion, this famous 19th century missionary and explorer arrived at the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chieftain. According to tradition, the chief would come out to meet him there. Livingston could go forward only after there was an exchange that was made. The chief would choose any item of Livingston's personal property that caught his fancy and keep it for himself. Whilst Livingston could keep something for himself in return. So Livingston had few possessions with him. But at their encounter, he obediently spread out everything that he owned on the ground. His clothes, his books, his watch, and even the goat that provided him with milk. He'd got such a chronic stomach problems that he'd developed from drinking the local water that the goat was what kept him alive. To his dismay, the chief chose the goat. In return, the chief didn't allow him to choose something. Instead, he gave him something. And he gave him a carved stick shaped like a walking stick. Livingston was so disappointed. He began to gripe to God about this stupid walking cane. What could it do for him compared to the goat that kept him well? Later that day, Livingston's confidant and friend spoke to him. And he said to him, I don't know what I was thinking. How could I have been so foolish as to give my goat away? I don't know what I shall do with this stick. And his friend replied, you don't understand. That isn't a stick. It's a scepter. You've just been given, you've just given your goat away, but in return, you now own all the goats of this tribe. And with that stick, you'll find entry into every village in this country. The king has honored you greatly. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's like a scepter granting more than we can possibly imagine, giving us an inheritance. Verse 13 and 14, it says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when, the word, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Very complicated language. For us, in our day and age, inheritance usually has to do with money. You receive your inheritance, the finances from the previous generation. But for, for the biblical narrative, inheritance had much more to do with land. So God promised the people of God an inheritance that was the promised land, that they would step in and have a space and a place that would be theirs. So what's the land that we've been promised? What's the inheritance that we've been promised? N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Ephesians, he says, the inheritance he has in mind, so it appears from the present passage and the whole chapter, is the whole world. When it's been renewed by a fresh act of God's power and love. Paul has already said in verse 10 that God's plan in the Messiah is to sum up everything in heaven and on earth. 
God, after all, is the creator. He has no interest in leaving earth to rot and make do for all eternity with only one half of the original creation. God intends to flood the whole cosmos, heaven and earth together with his presence and grace. And what And when that happens, the new world that results in which Jesus himself will be the central figure is to be the inheritance for which Jesus's people are longing. It's the whole earth. Why is Paul reminding us in these verses that we've got the Holy Spirit and that the world is our inheritance? Because the reality is the Spirit lives within those of us that have surrendered to God. And so now every space and place that we place our feet is where God is, because he's in us. And so every space we go to on a Monday morning has now been saturated with his presence. So we get that as our inheritance, and we get to step into those spaces with a scepter. And we say, God, you're here and you're working through me. And so actually, when, we, when we're trying to control, maybe you're a teacher and you're trying to con- control the rowdy teenagers or kids in a classroom, that may be what your function is, but your job for being there is far greater than that. Because you've got the spirit inside of you and that land and space that you place yourself is inheritance. And so we get to claim some stuff. Maybe you're struggling in your family. Maybe there's issues and circumstances and situations and you go, do you know what? I've been given a scepter, some authority. And it's not for abuse, but it's to reveal the glory and grace and presence of God into every circumstance and situation. I love how the the message paraphrase finishes this chapter, verse 22 and 23. Listen to this, how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases these words. He says, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name, no power, except from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. We need to know our identity, step into the reality of the story of God. Christ is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Isn't that incredible? Fills every space and place with his presence. How? Because we've got the Holy Spirit as the down payment of our inheritance, God's very presence. And the Spirit marks us out, stamps us with God's official seal as the people in whom we've got the presence in order to inherit the world that will one day fully be as God intended it to be. You're not sure who you are? Not sure what you're meant to do on this earth? What your purpose is? You're having an identity crisis? I think Paul is addressing it. He says, know who you are. You are saved, you are loved, you are chosen. Keep reminding yourself you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Why? So you can be the blessing. So you can't start to see his presence saturate every space and place. I'd like us just to pray for each other. Um, But before I do, Luke 9, Jesus commissions his disciples. And do you know what he says to his disciples as he's commissioning them, as he's summoning them, as he's releasing them? 
It says this in Luke 9, summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You've got a scepter. You've got the spirit inside of you. We don't need to live in fear of what this world might do to us. We get to go out and be the church that God calls us to be, living in the fullness of the identity we have. So I invite you, let's just stand together. I just want to uh, give opportunity just to pray and just to let God's spirit just move just over these next few moments. We'll be finished very shortly. But maybe you just want to close your eyes. And there's just a few groups that I just had on my heart and uh, I'm going to invite others just to share as God's been speaking to them this morning as well. But I wonder if for some in the room, you look at yourself and you just see the dirt. That's what you see. And as much as you try, it's just like, do you know what? The, the guilt and the shame of, the, of who I've been, of what I've done, that just consumes me and I just can't seem to get past it. If that's you while every eye is closed, I just want you just to put your hands out in front of you. I think God just wants to start to move this morning. And I'm a firm believer that our outward posture is just a reflection of, of, of where our heart is at. And something shifts as we just start to physically uh, posture ourselves before God. And so my prayer is that as, as we allow uh, the Spirit of God just to move this morning, that as your hands are open, he just come and fill you. Because God can do what God can do, and it's far greater than anything I can do. He can do something in a moment just to set you free. So for those that just see your life and it's just like dirt, I'm just praying now the Spirit of God would start to wash over you. You're set apart. You're blameless. For others, perhaps you don't realize the scepter that God has placed in your hands as you look at the circumstances and the situations that you're in, the things that have defined your life, the circumstances that seem to shape and maybe it's been generations. Maybe it's like your parents, you see stuff and it's, and maybe their parents and you start to see that there's like this consistency of like uh, uh, whatever it is that's shaping our family. You've got a scepter in your hands. And so I want to invite you just to put your hands out in front of you if that's, if that's where you are this morning. The truth and the reality of, of the power of God the authority that he's called you to stand in. You can take hold of that scepter. And maybe you just want to start declaring some stuff. You don't have to do it out loud, but you can just start declaring in your heart some stuff over people, over circumstances, the truth of who God is, rather than what you perceive to be the reality of the circumstance that you see before you. Family members that have decided to walk in a different direction. Uh, those that you know that are seeking to define their identity and things outside of God. And you can see the hurt, the pain, maybe the brokenness that you see just coming through your generations and that you see the, the story of your parents is starting to impact the story that you're living. And you're like, I need a bigger story. And he's saying, I've got a scepter, take hold of it. God, I pray in this moment, power of the Holy Spirit would just come that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us. So we stand with all authority like you summoned those 12 disciples to go out in the power and authority that you've given us. I think others, you're experiencing sickness. 
And that for you, the, the story of the not yet of the kingdom of God feels greater than the story of the now, if that makes sense. That you look around and you go, okay, God's kingdom has come. I get more that it's going to come fully in the future because it doesn't feel like it's come right now because of this sickness, because of this uh, pain that I've got in my body. If that's you, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. And I just want to pray that, uh, that the spirit of God right now would just come upon you and his kingdom would come right now. The kingdom that is wholeness, where brokenness and fragmentation and frustration is dissolved in the truth and the reality of who God is. God, will your kingdom just come right now? Where there's sickness, I just pray it will be dissolved up now in the name of Jesus. So we're just going to allow the Spirit of God just to come. Invite your Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. Meet each person in this room right where they're at. Alistair, do you want to just come and share what you had on your heart? Just keep, keep, keep standing. Just keep inviting Holy Spirit just to come and meet you where you're at. Some of you might be feeling something. Some of you may not. We're not, we're not in this for an experience. We're in this for the reality of God's presence, which sometimes comes with feelings. It sometimes doesn't. But we receive with faith. So just ask Holy Spirit, just pour yourself out. Alistair, do you want to share what you... Yeah, no, just... just when... Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Now, just when I was, John was pouring that water or the water was being poured, that right at the very start, when it started to overflow, what occurred to me was that actually, there's not just the dirt coming out, but also the clean coming out. And to me, that was the illustration that even when we just become Christians, there's the opportunity to still share. And that's the Holy Spirit coming out with that dirt, which is actually a great example because that is where change is truly seen, the, gospel, the effect of the gospel. And the other thing that occurred to me was that the sickness that we've just been praying for, and as a family we've got some of that going on at the moment, and is that I've seen that being used profoundly, um, being able to speak into others' lives while sick. So God even uses that. And I just think this is this stuff is absolutely fantastic what we're hearing today. So thank you, John. So be encouraged that for those of you that feel like the dirt is what's getting seen by everybody around you, that the spirit is in that. And that in our weakness he is strong. What we're gonna do is I just want to encourage that there might be people around you that in this moment we just want to equip and just say, just pray for each other. Maybe Maybe you're like, you know what, this, this is great. I, I, I'm feeling great. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to receive prayer, but actually I'd love to pray for someone. Maybe someone's just caught your attention in this moment as has been stood there with their hands open. Uh, I just want to say, if you love Jesus, um, then just go and pray for someone. Go and put your hand on someone and just say, I just want to encourage you. That's, that's the criteria that you just encourage. You say, can I pray for you? Um, and then they might tell you what they want prayer for or they may not. And that's fine. But we're a community. Oasis Community Church. And so we support each other and we hold each other up. Um, but we're going to sing a song in response. And I'm just inviting you just to receive whatever you want from God and to do that together.